40 here. So Tablet Magazine had a pretty good essay on uh, Bronze Age Pervert. And uh, here's the headline. Should aristocrats of the spirit have sex with each other or seize power in a military coup? So out of the Leo Strauss board emerged singular thinkers who galvanized public opinion. One was Leo Strauss and his student, Alan Bloom. So on the surface, Alan Bloom offered Reagan's American defense of the literary canon and old-fashioned morality, but underneath the surface, right, what Alan Bloom was really about was not just awakening intelligent young men to free thinking by inculcating a contempt for democracy and mass culture. This awakening also included a strong homoerotic element. So Alan Bloom, the lay professor, not just interested in penetrating his male students' minds, he's also interested in penetrating their souls and their bodies. Just like the Village Voice owed to gay cruising, YMCA became an anthem of dorky straight people at sporting events. But uh, Alan Bloom, all right, absolutely fascinated with his male students and how he may enter them, both intellectually and physically. And now we have a modern-day equivalent of Alan Bloom's 1986 classic, Learning of the American Mind. Now we have Bronze Age Mindset by Costin Alamariu, all right, has a PhD in political science from Yale, and it's a campy, fascist, you know, homosexual orientation exhortation written in internet slang, now reviewed by every would-be intellectual trying to demonstrate his daring proximity to the limits of acceptable opinion. So this guy was at Yale University, his doctoral dissertation is The Problem of Tyranny, and philosophy in Plato and Nietzsche. And he lays out with great clarity what he takes to be Leo Strauss's views, that there are you know, secret decoder rings that enable the, the followers of Leo Strauss to, interp- to interpret and bring to, bring to light what Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle really meant. But th- there have been some very brave aristocrats of the spirit who do the Bronze Age pervert mindset and and lifestyle particularly over the cliffs over Bondi Beach in Australia this is a real Bronze Age permanent lifestyle for decades this famous stretch of Sydney coastline was the scene of brutal crimes it was a night out for certain sections of the community to go and bash a few gays after being in the pub it was a game, and it was... For absolutely no reason, right? It was the middle of the AIDS crisis, and AIDS was primarily a disease of homosexual men and intravenous drug users. And apparently people living around Bondi, they didn't appreciate that uh, this public park, this cathedral, right? The beaches are Australia's cathedrals, and Bondi Beach is the most famous beach in Australia. So this is... Australia's biggest cathedral, and somehow some people took exception to gay men cruising and having random sex here uh, on this public park. I mean, how homophobic is that? Just for no reason whatsoever, right? They, they take exception to, you know, gay men going to this place after dark and just having random hookups with strangers in an era where AIDS is a death sentence, where AIDS is primarily transmitted in Australia and in the first world, by unprotected anal sex between men, and then for no reason whatsoever, 
Right, they start uh, Pofta bashing. It's also a rite of passage. I was first bashed in 1969 when I came out of a gay dance in Petersham. It was a sport. They bashed me, the kid, and when I got... And, and for no reason whatsoever, right? There's absolutely nothing that uh, the, the gay community had, had ever done. It's not like they had higher than average levels of mental illness or physical illness. That they, It wasn't that they incubated horrible diseases. It wasn't that they were disproportionately active in you know abusing children i mean for no good reason whatsoever just just out of the blue just this thoughtless bigotry and hate how do we stop this thoughtless bigotry and, and hate i mean for no reason whatsoever right there's nothing that the the, the gay community did that, that precipitated this kind of bashing but up he said no hard feelings mate Nothing they did wrong. In the wrong. heart of Sydney's gay neighbourhood, activist and historian Gary Wotherspoon can recall a time when gay... Uh, so, sir, I mean, they, they get blamed for things like AIDS and, and monkeypox, but now we know that everyone's equally likely to get AIDS and, and monkeypox. And it's not like you know a bunch of gay men having sex with strangers is any more likely to spread disease. I mean, to think that these misguided, you know, bigoted souls... You know, took exception to the to the giving and receiving of the deadly AIDS virus by, by Bondi Beach. I mean, why would they take such strong exceptions to aristocrats of the spirit cornholing each other on public property? Gay bashing was commonplace. There were reports of more than twenty incidents a day. The police didn't take any notice. We reported to the police, and they didn't want to deal with it. What happened to one of Gary's friends, a fellow university lecturer called Yuri, remains a mystery. In all probability, he was at a beat, uh, Bondi probably. And so a beat is where gay men gather in public, right, on public property, in public restrooms. And they hook up, you know, they have sex with random strangers, They're transmitting... Uh, perhaps uh, massive amounts of disease and dysfunction. This is on public property. This is in public. This is in public restrooms, right? This is where there are neighbors, people who own property, people who are trying to lead a decent life. I would not be happy if a bunch of heterosexuals just started, you know, hooking up, you know, on public property and public parks and public restrooms all around me. Why would any community, why would neighbors be, be thrilled with a bunch of randos having random sex and in all likelihood transmitting deadly diseases like AIDS. Why would people get upset about that? The only answer is just bigotry and it's sinat hinam in the Hebrew. It's just needless hatred. And he ran into one of these gangs and they threw him over. I mean, he, he was just trying to have a harmless evening of, of random sex with strangers on public property and in public restrooms. And and some people took exception to that. Now, I want anyone who participated in murder, I want them put to death, right? I am very much for for the death penalty for people who commit murder. So I'm not A-OK with pofta bashing. I want anyone who, who beat someone up, all right, uh, for, for being gay. I, I want them prosecuted just like someone who gets beaten up for, for being Jewish or 
just because uh, someone's in a mood to beat po- people up. I, I want you know, violent criminals put away for a long time and I want murderers executed. Over the cliff and he drowned and that was the end of Yuri. And now these victims are always presented as, you know, sweet, heroic, darling men. They just so happen to go into public property to have random sex with strangers. And I'd say there's probably something pretty bad in your life. This area is very well known for pofta bashing. This area is very well known for all sorts of men being pushed to their deaths. But they were so desirous of hooking up and having sex with other gay men, they thought, oh, you know, there's probably a 50% chance that I'll get to not here tonight. And probably only a 5 to 10% chance that I'll get murdered. So given 50% chance I'll get to not, 5% chance I'll get murdered, I think I'm going to go not here on this public property with some rando. Now, uh, heterosexual men don't have that choice, but if heterosexual men did, right, if there were, there were places where they could go and they had a 50% chance to not with some stranger who was, let's say, a 5 or above, and a 5% chance that they'd get thrown to their deaths off a cliff, uh, yeah, I suspect a lot of heterosexual men would, would take this ride and take that risk as well. Among the high-profile disappearances or suspected murders in the 1980s that remain unsolved, 27-year-old Gilles Matani, who was last seen walking along the coast at Tamarama. 24-year-old Ross Warren. Yeah, he was just walking along the coast looking for gay sex with strangers on public property, on a public park, next to... Australia's most revered cathedral. That, that's all. Right, this is the age of AIDS here. So just looking to receive and transmit the AIDS virus on public property where you know, regular people could stumble upon them, hear their yelps and, and exhortations and, and screams of pleasure. Whose keys were found at the bottom of cliffs on the same coast. And just months later, 31-year-old John Russell whose body was found in a similar way. Just looking for some harmless, gay, random pickup, sex, randos, strangers, on public property, you know, public loos, you know, on the cliffs, where it's very well known that there's a ton of poof to bashing, a lot of people have gotten murdered, but hey, there might be a 30% chance that you get to nut tonight, while only, you know, a 5% chance that you get murdered. So at 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m., let's go out there and see if we can nut with some rando. Gay, lesbian and transgender communities are claiming Australia's legal system has failed them. Oh, there's nothing in their community that's gone wrong that uh, encourages, facilitates, is A-OK with this Bronze Age pervert lifestyle. It, it's entirely the fault of, uh, of Australia's legal system, not adequately protecting men who go out into public property and public lavatories and public facilities like libraries and library bathrooms to have public sex with random men transmitting awful diseases and doing, you know, untold damage to each other and to the wider society. Mentoring committee found that New South Wales police were indifferent to such crimes. And an anti-gay crime wave for no reason whatsoever. Like, why would anyone object to the massive transmission and reception of AIDS? Why would people object to gay orgies going on during an era of monkeypox? There's no reason to whatsoever except ignorance and, and bigotry, people clinging to their guns and their religion. Like, why would anyone object to a community that, uh, despite all warnings, despite all dangers, just insists on having public sex 
with, with strangers and randos on public property beside Australia's biggest cathedral. Why, why, what could anyone possibly object to in that? And failed to properly investigate them at the time. In response, the Perrottet government is now setting up a judicial inquiry into gay and transgender hate crimes between 1970 and 2010. And hate crimes for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Right? It's not like these guys were, were spreading some kind of deadly disease. It's not like they were carrying on you know, reprehensible, reprehensible behavior in public beside you know, Australia's most revered cathedral. Just for no reason whatsoever. There was this wave of puffter bashing. Unfathomable, unbelievable. I, I guess not all countries are as receptive to the glories of the Bronze Age pervert lifestyle. I mean, Bronze Age pervert reveres ancient Athens. And ancient Athens revered as the highest form of love, pederasty, man-boy love, right? That was the highest form of love in ancient Athens. Women were only baby makers, right? Alan Bloom... Bronze Age pervert, have no interest in women, no time for women, no care or consideration for family. They just want uh, these aristocrats of the spirit, you know, buggering each other. Uh, if they can do it next to cliffs, you know, all the more exciting. And if they, you know, spread deadly diseases, all the more exciting, right? You're playing, you're playing Russian roulette with every rando that uh, you allow to cornhole you. I think at the end of the day, um, there are people out there who, who want answers to questions. So um, hopefully those questions will be answered, but we look forward to petitioning. Yeah, i got questions because it's just unfathomable. Why would there be any opposition to this Bronze Age pervert lifestyle? Man, i got so many questions. Like, Why would people you know, object to a particular community that insists on having public sex in this park w with strangers? Man, I've got so many questions. It's just unfathomable. Why would anyone have a problem with that? Participating in it. So sad. John Ages. And, and get this. The only reason these, these men w were bashed is because they were gay. Right? It wasn't because they were spreading deadly diseases. It wasn't because they were having sex in a public park next to Australia's premier cathedral. It, it's just because they were gay. So ignorant. This SC represented Scott Johnson's family, who battled for years to have his death properly investigated. A man is now due to face trial and has pleaded not guilty to murder. Scott Johnson, a wonderful man, just liked to have sex in public with, with, with strangers. And uh, why would anyone object to that? What kind of, what kind of primitive, hidebound, homophobic world do we live in? John Aegis expects the inquiry may lead to new evidence in other cases. It gives people an opportunity who haven't yet reported the crimes committed upon them or committed upon others to them. And for no reason whatsoever, man. That, that's why I'm decoding the glory hole mindset here. And uh, I did some investigative reporting of my own when I was in Bondi, because I was just so upset by this, you know, absolute, you know, absolutely, you know, reasonless, purposeless uh, attacks. So, uh, Bronze Age pervert wants us to be more like classical Athens, right, where pederasty is the highest form of love. Now, Bronze Age pervert, like Alan Bloom and Leo Strauss, recognizes the great thinkers had to disguise their thoughts, but luckily Leo Strauss gave his disciples, the magic decoder ring. 
to figure out, you know, what's really going on. So uh, Bronze Age pervert deserves credit for divining, insisting upon discovering what, uh, what people like Plato and Socrates really felt, right? And so when he wants to be Bronze Age pervert, Kossin Alamariu is a careful, thoughtful exegete. This is from Tablet Mag when it suits him. But uh, Bronze Age Mindset, his book and his persona on Twitter is a strategic dumbing down of his points. It's a tactic for generating interest in his work. It's a way of talking to a non-philosophical audience. He's a rogue disciple of Alan Bloom, like many closeted gay men. Alan Bloom enjoyed little more than speculating on who else was secretly gay. Spent much of his conversations with his friend Saul Bellow, speculating about the sexuality of his students and their sexual availability. He had a passion for bringing young male minds to philosophy and young male bodies to his bed. Very much, it sounds like a Bronze Age pervert. So, Closing of the American Mind, Alan Bloom's final essay, Love and Friendship, are justifications for the Socratic method of combining erotic and intellectual approaches to pedagogy with cornholing boys. So recognizing kindred gay spirits was the core of Alan Bloom's pedagogy, also the core of Bronze Age perverts' pedagogy. But not just in the sexual sense, right? He, these guys have a vision of teaching and writing. They want to separate the potential philosophers who have the, you know, the ability for original thinking from the vulgar mass of ordinary mortals who aren't really into man-boy sex. And so these true philosophers at the, at the top, all right? These blokes who like to have sex with other blokes, right, are able to find the gay currents in closing the American mind, right? They're the ones who really should be leading us, right? They should be the ones ruling over us, right? Because through all this gay sex, they, they perfect an erotic education, and this helps to make young men more vigorous, more receptive, more, you know, turned out, more physically perfect, and more hostile to women and to democracy and to notions of egalitarianism. The Kostin Alamariu, like Alan Bloom, is completely uninterested in women. So Bronze Age Perverts Project is a combination of erotic pedagogy in the vein of the ancient Greeks who revered pederasty. And he's got a program of eugenics as well, and he wants tyrants and dictators to rule. So he wants our country protected from its most dangerous enemies, those who like uh, democracy and those who want to mate w with women and uh, maybe build, build a career with, with women, build a life with women. Okay. Let's get a little bit more here. Their knowledge to come forward. You would have been discouraged from reporting because of your fears that it wouldn't be investigated or that you wouldn't be taken seriously. A commission of inquiry would be a very valuable tool in uncovering what was going on. Yeah, there's so many questions. I have just no idea what was going on. Why on earth would people object to a particular community insisting on having you know, public sex with strangers and spreading diseases? You know, beside Bondi Beach. 
I, I can't understand New it. South Wales Police says times have changed along with its practices. The inquiry is expected to lay bare the force's failings in properly investigating crimes. Witnesses are... About time that we lay bare all, all the cornholing and uh, sodomy that was going on in public because this was just such a revered hookup place for you know randos to, to get it off with people they have no idea about. Likely to be compelled, meaning that currently serving and former police officers could be called to give evidence. Three decades ago, Alan Rosendale was 32 and had just moved from country Victoria to Sydney. That over there is where I tripped and fell. So. But during a night out, he recalls being chased and bashed by a group of men. And absolutely nothing that he or his community ever did that precipitated this, right? They were just, they were bashed just for, for completely unfathomable reasons. I can remember being on the ground, having my head bashed by what I thought were planks of wood and, and thinking that that was it, I was going to be dead. No one was going to come and save me. Alan wants the inquiry to investigate whether his attackers were undercover police officers based on the account of a witness who reported seeing men jumping out of what he believes was an unmarked police car. So apparently many police officers did not take kindly to the particular community that insisted on having, you know, orgies in public, on public spaces, you know, on public parks, on public cliffs, you know, in public restrooms. Apparently some very ignorant, bigoted, homophobic police officers took exception to this kind of behaviour for no good reason whatsoever. I would like a little bit of closure if these people who did attack me were the police. Well, I think the Rosendale matter is one matter that cries out for proper investigation. If there were perpetrators who were police officers, then I'm sure that the current commissioner would not oppose there being Awful, just awful. Jagged headland between Bondi and Tamarama beaches. Late at night, long after all the tourists and joggers had gone home, this place became a beat. Marks Park had been a beat as early as the 1920s. A beat? I mean, what could be... What could be more wholesome than a beat? All right? A beat, that just sounds like such a lovely thing. Beats were particularly popular when gay bars were few or too risky to visit. Yeah, so the only reason that you had uh, beats were because gay men had to hook up with random strangers on public property here beside Bondi Beach because there just weren't enough gay bars. I, I mean, if there's anything we know about the gay community is that once they have enough gay bars, they no longer need to have sex in public parks or public restrooms. They lead lives of, of great moral discipline. They, th this whole need for promiscuity, it's, it's simply a result of a repressive homophobic society that, uh, that discouraged gay bars. And most gay or bisexual men were closeted. Beats were places where men could socialise and if the conditions felt comfortable, engage in casual, anonymous sex out of public view. Right, I mean, what's more wholesome than that? Just men who, who go to cliff spaces and you know, public parks just to socialise at 2am. That's why they're driving there at 2am. All right, just to, to socialize. Then, sure, occasionally, if, you know, the conditions are right and they feel comfortable, you know, a bit of anonymous gay sex, but 
the main reason that they go there is what uh, Bronze Age mindset talks about. It's, you know, aristocrats of the spirit, you know, communing about, you know, things of the soul. And then, sure, you know, on the side here and there, right? I mean, there might be a little bit of, you know, gay, anonymous, rando sex, but that's just the, um, that's just the froth on the latte. That's just the icing on the cake, all right? The main reason that they're going out here at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. is not to not with some stranger, but to just to socialize because there, there weren't enough gay bars in Sydney at the time. My God, if only there were more gay bars. View at Mark's Park that either cruise the park itself or take the steps down to the concrete pathway, sometimes rattling coins or keys to attract attention from other males. Bondi resident and former local businessman, Paul Symes, has lived near Mark's yeah, you, you want to go where everyone knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to go where people are people are all the same. They just like to have sex with randos in a public park, you know, late at night. Park since 1984 and recalls that era around the clifftops very well. If you can imagine a full moon in spring or autumn or summer with no winds, there's just nothing to beat a headland like that. The other aspect to it was that it had rock ledges and cliffs, much as you see along the Sydney coast. I mean, just really romantic and ideal for socialising and a little bit of anonymous guests. You could walk along various rock ledges, six to 20 metres and down and continue to walk along to little shelves and you could sit and have your feet dangling over the ocean almost and, and be looking out there. So it was just a, a beautiful spot. If we go back to the 1980s when homosexuality was illegal and there were no mobile phones, there were no apps it was an opportunity to meet people. The Bondi cliff tops had long been a magnet for closeted men. I couldn't tell you who was bisexual and who wasn't, but I certainly would have been surprised. Yeah, it was just a place to meet people, all right? That's why they would go there on the rocks, on the cliffs at 1am, just to meet people and to socialise. I mean, straight men, bi, I mean, you couldn't tell. They're just men just wanting to meet men. And then if like, little anonymous gay sex happened... Uh, that's what it wasn't all about. People just fixate on the the gay sex between, you know, randos, but it's not what it was really about. It was it was a meeting place of the soul. If it wasn't the case that there weren't lots of bi guys going there and married men. I was already aware that it was violent and dangerous. And then the first of those murders, and I wouldn't have been able to work out the sequence of them, but as we started to read about... Yeah, I mean, that's the reason they go there at 3 a.m., just to socialise with other straight bi and gay men. There's... Not, it's not always about the sex, guys. That. It just confirmed what I was experiencing down there and made me more on alert, but it never stopped me going there. Paul Symes had a couple of scary close calls. Each of the occasions. Yeah, I mean, so they know it was very scary and dangerous to go there, but they were willing to risk it all just for socialising because there weren't enough gay bars. I mean, they weren't risking everything just to, to nut with some rando. But I got to admit, I mean, at 3 a.m., it, it was so beautiful. The moon was stunning. The sound of the waves, it was just magical social bonding. I, I, don't, I don't know why people think that there's something perverse going on here. Asians, when I was most particularly fearful, I was on the top. And because I knew that park lane like the back of my hand and I could run fast, I could get away. There were other locations around the east where it was more cornered, but up there on that... Okay, so they knew it was dangerous to go there, but thousands of them would go there anyway, you know, to have sex with random strangers, even though they, they knew very well that it could cost them their life. But hey, there was a 50% chance they'd not, and only a 5% chance they'd get murdered. That parkland, uh, fortunately, I just had a sense of people coming at me and I knew to go. 
back in the 1980s, most... Yeah, he was a fast runner, so he probably had a reduced chance of getting murdered, but he, he would still go there, of course, because there was... It might have been a 25, 50% chance he'd not. So he was willing to risk that 2, 3, 5% chance he'd get murdered. Seems like a good deal. Bondi locals considered the clifftops a no-go zone after nightfall. Back then, the area was very poorly lit and there was no... Oh, I wonder why they considered a no-go zone. You mean they didn't want to be around a bunch of randos having sex with each other? That wasn't something they were really into? handrail skirting the cliff face as there is today. Even now, armed with the knowledge of what went on here, walking the cliff tops at night can be a disturbing experience. Okay, so it's a disturbing, dangerous experience, even now where it's much safer to walk the cliffs at night, but certain men were willing to do it because there was a pretty good chance that they could not, right? Pretty good chance that they could get it off with a stranger. Right, and someone with that poor judgment, you think they're being that particularly careful about the reception and transmission of deadly diseases like AIDS? I suspect not. Someone's so reckless, all right, to go to a cliff face where it's well known that uh, gays are murdered for hanging out here and buggering other gays, right? They're so reckless to do that. You think they're going to be very careful about uh, monitoring, you know, their, their safe sex practices? Good afternoon, I'm Ross Warren. Cool again tomorrow with the heavier rain clearing down south. That's Ross Warren, a young newsreader and weatherman for Wind TV in Wollongong in New South Wales, delivering the weather forecast in 1989. The 25-year-old was one of the station's most popular stars, a handsome man with sparkling green eyes and brown hair. Ross uh, left quite an impression on all of us, in fact. Ross was this young, driven, very handsome, engaging guy, you know. You could understand why he was going to be successful in television. Great hair, well-dressed, well-spoken. You know, he was smart, he was intelligent. Very attractive guy. That's Ross. Just, uh, I mean, a wonderful guy. Just like to have sex in public, you know, by, by cliffs in an area where it's well-known that, you know, a lot of uh, gay men have been murdered. But uh, just, just a, a wonderful guy, just salt of the earth who like to have you know, sex with strangers beside cliffs in, in public. So I read this 2007 book by Greg Callahan who's doing the podcast. It's called Bondi Badlands, The Definitive Stories of uh, Sydney's Gay Hate Murders. So apparently this clifftop walkway and park was a popular homosexual beat for decades. So at a time when gay bars were few, when most gay or bisexual men married out of social pressure, right, there's just nowhere else that they could have sex in, in Sydney because of Sydney's homophobia. Closeted gay men would come to beats such as this, to meet others, just to soak up the seaside view, and if the conditions were right, to engage in casual anonymous sex out of view, or maybe they weren't, I suspect they weren't particularly choosy about having sex out of view, or maybe go back to one of their homes if it was available, because you know, I guess 50% of them were homeless. Some attracted to the social aspects of mixing with like-minded souls. You know, in an area where it's well known that people like you get murdered, but uh, they were just there for the social aspects of mixing with like-minded souls. Others came for the sheer sexual danger. Wow, sounds like a wonderful group to have in my neighborhood. Men prowl or cruise beats because the heterosexual world has taught them to associate homosexuality with guilt, repression, and disguise. And so now that we've managed to conquer our homophobia, you don't have this anymore, I assume. So the gay beat drew international headlines in April 1998 when 
British singer George Michael was arrested at a toilet block in a Los Angeles park by an undercover cop who charged him with performing a lewd act. So Pufta bashing was epidemic and for no good reason throughout Australia in the 1960s and 70s. Only a small fraction of these bashings were ever reported. But something different happened in the Bonlai headland between 1989 and 1990. The popular trysting spot turned into a playground for killers. It was here that gay men were dragged kicking and screaming to the cliff edge where they were hurled over in wide-eyed terror like helpless animals. The area became so notorious for screams ringing into the night and the snaking pathways so frequently bloodstains that some locals dubbed it the Bondi Badlands. Well, I assume that a lot of the screams were out of you know sexual ecstasy. So it's a thin line between ecstasy and terror. The onset of the AIDS epidemic came in the 1980s, and then we got all this prejudice coming to the surface with gays being branded AIDS carriers and spreaders. Why on earth would anyone think that gays were AIDS carriers and spreaders? Just for no good empirical reason. Homosexuality only became legal in New South Wales in 1984. They mean sex between men and men, right? You could be homosexual all you liked. It's just having sex with another man was illegal until 1984. Now, some very primitive people think that beating up gays is almost justifiable when the gays are hooking up at an unsavory place such as a beat. Now, the victims have no one to blame but themselves for say, taking such stupid risks. Besides, what are they thinking? Having sex in a public place, isn't it against the law? Yes, it is against the law, and uh, most people would find it sleazy and distasteful and repulsive. Okay, this uh, Bondi Badlands is a podcast from the Sydney Morning Herald. Ross's good friend, Jeff Dowse. Jeff would often have breakfast with Ross on his fortnightly visits up to Sydney. On the evening of Friday, July 21st, 1989, the 25-year-old delivered the weather forecast for the weekend ahead. It would be fine but cold, with a chance of a light shower on Sunday. Every second weekend, after reading the weather, Ross would jump in his chocolate brown Nissan Pulsar, flick on his car cassette recorder and drive up to Sydney to catch up. Yeah, catch up, just have some, you know, random gay sex with strangers, you know, beside Cliffs. Victor of an horrific murder. Imagine a case that is as fraught as this case. Not only do we have the spectre of an horrific murder, but we had this deeply political, angry, hostile politics going on between a family and the police force. You had the complication of it being a cold case and you had the unwillingness of the police to admit that perhaps they got it wrong that combination to me said that it would never be solved to see something like that turn around after 30 years and for there to actually be an so i think the the cop who pursued these murderers is a hero like, I am all for bringing these murderers to complete justice and I want them executed. Arrest of a potential offender, it's one of the most extraordinary things I think that we've ever seen in the Australian legal and justice system. It's been a long time coming for Scott's family and for the rest of the gay community. Yeah, Scott Johnson, apparently, I think, a brilliant mathematician and a guy who liked to have sex in public with random strangers on a cliff. He was everyone's idol. He was such a gentle, easy person to be around. Fortunately, the case attracted... A 
particularly when he was having sex in public places with strangers. A lot of people just wanted to help because they thought this was important. It was early in the morning. I was up for an early shift. It would have been 5.36 in the morning. I was the last person I'd seen alive. And uh, I could see his legs in the bed, in my brother's old bedroom, from the kitchen. Somebody called him at around noon and said he sounded normal. And then we suspect, uh, because it was a Sydney bus ticket found in his pocket, that he probably took a bus from Lane Cove to catch the ferry to Manly. It was the uh, you know, beginning of summer, and uh, that he went there possibly to celebrate. To celebrate the fact that he had completed his doctoral thesis, it's a big day. I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about celebrating, I think about going to the cliffs to have, you know, anonymous sex with strangers. I mean, I guess we, we all celebrate in different ways. In anybody's life. He talked to his professor on the phone, and his professor said, hallelujah, you got it. I can understand the feeling of exhilaration and exhaustion. I don't know about you. When, whenever I get exhilarated, I just want to head straight to the nearest public laboratory to have some random gay sex. Exhaustion. To my mind, Scott put his pencil down, said, uh, I'm going to see my professor next Tuesday. This is Thursday. Uh, put, put his pencil down, you know, picked up some other appendage and said, I want to stuff this into another man. Uh, I'm going to take the weekend off. He didn't just take the weekend off. He was going to take the weekend to get off with random strangers. Who would have thought that, that would lead to trouble? The next thing we know is that a couple spear fishermen and one of the spear fishermen's sons find a body at the bottom of the cliff. They call the police. The police come. <laughs> They investigate, they see the body, they see Scott's clothes folded neatly at the top of the cliff. Scott is completely naked. I got a message that Scott's body had been found at the bottom of a cliff. I asked how it happened. And by the time I got here, about 36 hours later, the police had decided that it was a suicide. I was just, well, I was shocked. Okay, so you don't treat your own life respect with respect. You don't treat yourself with respect. You don't treat the wider community with respect. You don't treat a deadly disease like AIDS with respect. You don't conduct yourself in a respectable fashion. You don't take any care or consideration for the consequences of what you're doing. You go out into public spaces and you pollute them 
having sex with random strangers in all likelihood transmitting and receiving deadly diseases like AIDS. And you're surprised then that other people don't treat you and your life with respect. Other people get their cues from how we behave, how our community behaves, for how much respect we then you know, treat you with and your community with. So when the gay community treats itself with respect and treats each other with respect and treats strangers with respect, they are much more likely to get the same respectful treatment in turn, right? When I work around, live around, you know, socialize with gays and it's a great experience, all right, that uh, has an effect on how I view the wider gay community. When I have interactions with gays that are highly disappointing, such as, you know, running into them, buggering each other in a public toilet, right, that has a negative effect on how I view the community, right? We all have a profound effect on how our groups view us. Absolutely shocked. We couldn't understand. I couldn't understand how that could have happened. He was happy. He was fine. Well, I've now been. He was happy. He was fine. He just had this this completely harmless habit of having sex with strangers in public spaces, polluting public spaces, and in all likelihood, you know, transmitting nasty diseases in public spaces. But he was happy. He was fine. Just a wonderful guy who just likes to have sex with random strangers in public. Been a mental health nurse for 35 years. He showed no, none of the usual signs of wanting to take his life. No, he just had great respect for himself, so much respect he felt completely at ease you know, having sex with complete strangers in public. And from then on, the wonder about what happened to Scott has always been there. I didn't know whether my... Look, if these blokes were having sex with women on cliff faces in public, right, they would have, with complete strangers, they would have multiply increased their chances of bad things happening. Right? This isn't you know, primarily about gay and being gay. This is primarily about people who lack respect for themselves, respect for the community, respect for public space. Their respect for public health, you know, lack of respect for themselves, others, their community, the people around them, and who behave in, in gross antisocial fashion, and that triggers a gross antisocial reaction. Now, I don't think the gross antisocial reaction of pushing and shoving these people to their death is appropriate, but as you go through life, you do one gross antisocial thing, the reaction to that is usually not going to be proportionate. Right? The you, when you start out on a spiral of gross antisocial behavior, the reaction that you get will usually be multiple the amount of gross antisocial vibes that you put into society. But that's the way the world works. I wish it didn't work this way. I wish people weren't murdered. But you go out and behave in a gross antisocial revolting fashion that offends and triggers and upsets and nauseates people when, when you've got a deadly disease on the rampage that is primarily being spread within and through your community, yeah, the, there are going to be members of outgroups who are not going to look upon you too kindly. Brother had chosen to leave us. I didn't know whether someone had pushed him. I didn't know whether he had slipped. Um, I didn't know why we lost Scott. I'll tell you why you lost Scott in all likelihood. Because 
he chose to put his own life at great risk by choosing to randomly have sex with complete strangers in public places, in very dangerous public places. That's why he lost Scott, in all likelihood, because of his terrible decisions, then triggering even worse decisions by those he revolted. So at the time of Scott's death, Steve was a, a grad student. He had no money at all. And so it wasn't until several years after Scott's death that he sold his first big idea to America Online and made, you know, what to any person I know would be a fortune, not a small fortune, but a real fortune. What we've been able to create at Johnson Grace is an environment with lots of electricity, talented people working on you know what you need to be able to create great things in life? You, you need to have some self-discipline, right? You need to be able to treat yourself with a, a degree of respect and to keep yourself out of situations that are very likely to you know, result in the end of your life or the defiguring of your life or in creating so much social havoc that other people are strongly incentivized to retaliate against you. So when you go through life, Inf unnecessarily infuriating, nauseating, provoking, disturbing, horrifying other people, right? Your chances of making some wider contribution to the world are going to be greatly reduced. So instead of uh, following the Bronze Age pervert lifestyle, you can follow the 40 lifestyle, <laughs> which is not mine, of course, but uh, try to have the best possible relations with other people that you can, and that means, you know, abstaining from having sex with random strangers. And it means abstaining from polluting public spaces, and it means taking into consideration the effect of your behavior on other people, which means that you say no to your own urges, even when they're urges for just random sex at 3 a.m., and you just can't wait to nut, even with a complete stranger, you know, beside a cliff where a lot of people have been murdered. Right, to, to do great things in life, to dream great dreams, to you know, make plans to, to visit the stars and to colonize Mars, y you might need to put you know, a halt on some of your more self-destructive impulses. This is back to the podcast, uh, Bondi Badlands. Travel with friends and enjoy the nightlife. Ross had plenty to be happy about that night. Yeah, nothing, nothing says enjoying the nightlife than going out into cliffs and uh, having you know, sex with strangers. After two highly successful years at Wind TV, in which he'd built a large fan base for his weekend news reading and amusing weather reports, Ross was ready for the move to the big smoke. Only two weeks before, he'd been in preliminary chats with Network Brass at Sydney's Channel 10. On his regular fortnightly visits to Sydney, Ross would mostly stay with a good friend, Craig Ellis, who lived in a two-storey terrace in Redfern with his boyfriend, Paul, and a woman flatmate from New Zealand, Amanda. Okay, I got Luke Croft here in the room. I, I need to tell you this. Luke, promise me, son, not to do the things I've done, to walk away from trouble if you can. Now, it won't mean you're weak if you turn the other cheek. I hope you're old enough to understand. Son, you don't have to fight to be a man. Right, there's someone for everyone, and for me, it was Becky. In her arms, I didn't have to prove that I was a man. But one day, while I was working, the Gatlin boys came calling, and they took turns at Becky, and there were three of them. 
So when I opened up that door, Luke, and I saw my Becky crying, the torn dress, the shattered look, it was more than I could stand. So I tracked down the Gatlin boys, and they laughed at me when I walked into the bar room. One of them got up to meet me halfway as I crossed the floor, and then when I turned around, they said, hey, look, old Yeller's leaving. But you could have heard a pin drop when I just stopped and locked the door. So 20 years of crawling was bottled up inside me. I wasn't holding anything back. I let them have it all. And when I left the bar room, not a Gatlin boy was standing. And he said, this one's for, I said, this one's for Becky as I watched the last one fall. So I promise you, Dad, not to do the things you've done. I walk away from trouble when I can. Now, please don't think I'm weak. I didn't turn the other cheek. And Papa, I hope you understand. Sometimes you got to fight when you're a man. Craig still remembers that Friday night 30 years ago, the last time he would see his friend Ross alive. I actually met Ross at Mark's Park in Easter 1988. We were both there for the same purpose. It was you know, fairly late one evening on the weekend of, of, the, of Easter and we, we met each other there and started chatting and ended up going back to, to my place in Darlinghurst. Yeah, they were there for one purpose and that was to have sex. Most of the time. For a short time, I, I would say probably six or eight weeks, something like that. We were dating and didn't last much longer than that. I, I was pretty keen to maintain the relationship the way it was, but, but Ross really just wanted to be friends. Um, I guess I wasn't quite, quite the right guy for him, so very quickly it went Same. from being dating to, to friendship. So I think I would have been 21, uh, and Ross was probably about four years older than me, something like that. So, and we were both, we had both come to Sydney from, from different places. So as you said, I was from, I was from New Zealand. I'd been here for only a few months and Ross had been working various places, um, including up in Queensland, up in Mount Isa and uh, out in Western New South Wales, I think maybe Dubbo or somewhere like that. And then he'd ended up in Wollongong. So he was getting closer and closer to Sydney. But he understood he had to, you know, keep his uh, gay side in the closet in a town like Wollongong, right? If you want to get ahead, he had to keep the closet door firmly locked. Had no better example of this than the mayor himself from this book, Bondi Badlands, that the mayor, Frank Arkell, maintained a charade of heterosexuality during his entire 17-year tenure, said that I'm married to Wollongong when questioned about his marital status. Then in June 1998, the mayor was gruesomely slain in his home, by a 21-year-old double murderer who strangled his victim before stabbing him in the eye with his Rotary Club badge. And uh, the mayor later named the Royal Commission for making advances to teenage boys. So it appears that the late mayor may have played a significant role in his own demise. Which was where he wanted to be because that was the the ultimate prize in terms of TV work that, that Ross wanted to do. So he'd done he'd done his uh, apprenticeship, if you like, in some of the the regional stations, some of the smaller regional stations, and he was at the time he he look r remember at this time everybody's saying considered the Bondi Beach clifftops a no go zone at night because of what went on there, you know, the, the gay orgies and the gay bashing and the gay murders. So anyone with the slightest sanity would stay away. But if you're just dying to nut at 2 a.m., right, that was the place to go get off with a stranger. 
died, he was trying to get work in, in Sydney and for one of the big commercial stations. The mood in the house that night, Friday, July 21st, 1989, was light and cheerful as the friends tucked into pizza, chatted and listened to music. Later that evening, Ross asked Craig and his boyfriend whether they wanted to join him for a few drinks on Oxford Street. They politely declined, and shortly afterwards, Ross used Craig's landline to call a work acquaintance, an 18-year-old audio operator at TV. Just before 11pm, Ross reappeared in the living room doorway, looking devilishly handsome, in faded jeans, a white top, and a black sports coat. He was going to have a drink with Philip, he told them. They tossed around the idea of seeing a movie the following night, agreeing to an early evening session at a cinema in the city. He was going to have a Back in the late 1980s, Oxford Street was humming with over a dozen pubs, nightclubs and saunas. It truly was the Golden Gay Mile. The Mardi Gras parade at that time was attracting 500,000 spectators each year. Ross was very fearful of contracting HIV and always practised safe sex. Ross was in high spirits that night, joking with friends and confiding in Philip that he was glad he hadn't run into an ex called Ken, whom he'd broken up with only weeks before. Over the three hours they were on the strip, winding up at a bar called the Midnight Shift, Ross drank no more than three beers, breaking his alcohol intake up with mineral water, as was his... I mean, very, very, you know, sane. Good, good choices here. Just have some three beers, then go off to the Bondi Cliffs, try to have sex with a rando. Habit. At 2.15am, Ross and Philip call it a night. As Philip's turning into Oxford Street in his own car, he happens to notice that Ross is driving east towards Bondi rather than taking a right turn back. Okay, he's had three beers and he's driving to the cliffs to have sex with a rando at 2am. Seems like healthy choices to me. To Redfern. It's a cold and still night and Ross parks his brown Nissan on the ocean side of Kenneth Street in Autistic Merritt says uh, 25 years ago, heard a gay activist on the late Alan Combs radio show accused Alan Combs of being homophobic for not accepting that public park sex is just a natural, holy and healthy part of, of gay culture. Yeah. If you're opposed to gay orgies in the age of monkeypox or AIDS, if you're opposed to you know, public park sex, public restroom sex, you're homophobic. I mean, there's just no other explanation. There's no decent you know, rational, empirical. There's no other reason to be opposed to, you know, gay public park, public restroom sex other than just pure bigotry and hate. I mean, I hope you're not a hater. I hope there are no haters in my audience. Bondi. This is his favoured point of access on the headland, a place where he's less likely to be seen than on the more popular Bondi side. It's now 2.45am and a full moon is shining in the inky sky above. Ross, who'd come of age during the first wave of the HIV-AIDS crisis, always kept condoms in his glove box. But tonight, he leaves the packet unopened. He puts his wallet in the glove box, shoves the thick clump of eight keys that are attached to his brass keyring deep into his jeans pocket, and alights from the car. He checks that all the doors are locked. It's getting colder and windier, so he's probably not intending to stay very long. The 27 steep... Sandstone steps down to the pathway, take him past a toilet block on the left-hand side and a wall of blonde brick units on the right. When he reaches the pathway, does he turn left towards Mackenzie's Point or right towards Tamarama? Whichever direction he takes, it's the wrong one because his killers lie in wait for the lone steps of a defenceless man. Yeah, his killers lie in wait. It's not that uh, he's taking active steps towards extinguishing his own life, He's just a completely innocent victim, just showing up drunk, driving while drunk, 
just showing up at 2.45 a.m. to, you know, a public park, cliff face, to try to have sex with a stranger. What are you doing here? I've done the stuff for what? Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, give us your money. Right, money. Give us your what? Don't have come on. money. Get him, put him on the ground. Come on, give it up, Paul. Stop it, you big fat. Sad. When Craig Ellis wakes up on the Saturday morning, he finds that Ross hasn't returned home. I woke up in the morning and went down the stairs to the living room where Ross had been asleep and found that he wasn't there. Just incredible. Um, um, very interesting product. Steve was a central figure in the beginning days of the internet. He wrote this mathematical algorithm which allowed photographs to be transmitted over phone lines. And everything was text-based in those days. And getting a, a, a picture up on a computer screen over a telephone wire took five or ten minutes. Our life was forever changed. Uh, I've never liked to worry about money, and after that happened, uh, I've never had to, uh, fortunately. They're not profitable yet. Um, right. That ultimately allowed him to really dig in and, and put some resources behind this investigation. 20. So even though people play a substantial role in their own demise, doesn't mean I don't want the, the murderers punished with, with execution. And I think that, you know, what the, this brother did is, is wonderful, you know, fighting for his brother, fighting to find out what, what happened. Right? People are complex. Right? We, we all exhibit various levels of self-destruction. This is not something that's just unique to the gay community, but you don't have the best of my knowledge, like public parks or public restrooms that are common uh, hookup areas for heterosexuals to just, you know, get it off with, you know, other heterosexual strangers. Years later. I tried to rouse some attention to my brother's case, getting more and more incredulous uh, that no one was interested. I finally decided I needed a little ground support, so... But anyway, the, the main point is that the logical culmination of the Bronze Age pervert, you know, Alan Bloom, you know, aristocrats having sex with each other is, you know, insanely self-destructive behavior, right? If you're, you're so reckless that you're just absolutely preoccupied with having sex with your students, right, you're going to display the same recklessness in, you know, feeling absolutely, you know, needing to have sex in you know inappropriate places with inappropriate people talk to you later bye bye